And this is a Good Story is Hard to Find podcast. Where two Catholic friends talk about the books and movies they love and the traces of the one reality that lies below the surface. Yes. And this time it's the Old West. (laughs) The Old West, episode (laughs) 285. We're going to talk about Lonesome Dove by Larry McMurtry, uh, published in 1985. What a book. What a a book. It is one of Julie's very favorites. <laughs> okay, I want to say in my defense that this book is like what nine hundred pages. Yeah, like nine fifty. Yeah, I read a hundred pages, and then said, "This is not my book." Mm-hmm. I did read it. Well, no, I didn't read it. I watched the miniseries. I was never so glad to see a miniseries. <laughs> So just like people who are in book clubs that talk about the Lord of the Rings and they can't read the book, but they watch the movie, I feel like I'm close enough. (laughs) You know, I don't know if there's a Faramir situation where there's a misinterpretation or they left something important out, but everything I could read, I looked at the schmoop summaries for the chapters and things and the... The things that were left out were just small things that I, I mean, ish things. So my great apology, Scott, <laughs> it's the first time I've ever done this in my entire life. Well, that I've is a okay. You bet. Yeah. I don't want to impose a 950 pages of, <laughs> of pure hell on you. Um, this is, this is purgatory, right? This is purgatory. It was heaven for me. I, I yes. couldn't wait to get back to it. I, I, <laughs> I would come home after work and I would like settle in and I would just be, oh man, yes. And it was, you know, after 900 pages, you know, I know this is cliche, but I'm like, gosh, I wish it kept going. Um, <laughs> isn't that crazy? Um, no, I've been, it, it's amazing I've been that, that we're so far, far apart on this one. Um, but, but for me, this book was special. I, I don't know why it is, but I, it, it, you know how you know you read a book and you feel like you were there, and some books are better at that than other books. Mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. is one of those books, right? That, mm-hmm. that when you right. finish it, you're like, man, I was, I feel like I was present, you know? Right. Um, that's what this book does for me. It is like I felt like I experienced all that stuff. You know, it's like I could taste the dust and soaking up. It's freezing cold. You know, I mean, all, all this stuff. Um, I don't know how McMurtry did that, and it, it, I would be, if I could unlock that key, it would be amazing. Um, but this one really turned that up a notch. Um, it, it's somehow it's better at that aspect of it than other books that I've read. Somehow. Well, I have to agree with you because here's part of my problem that first hundred pages all takes place in Lonesome Dove. Mm-hmm. That is one of the worst little towns in the world. <laughs> and yeah. those people are living an existence that is awful. <laughs> yes. And I can usually get past all that stuff, but somehow the way McMurtry described it, I could feel the dust and I was scratching over the bed bugs or whatever it was and this horrible food they're eating and the way they're all, I don't know. I didn't care for it. Yeah. And usually that doesn't bother me. I can just move on. But it was so relentless. And it was everywhere. And I think it's because you're also taken so much into the minds of the people. 
So as Cole is patrolling the river and as Gus is, um, you know, cooking his biscuits that it's the one nice time of day at sunrise, (laughs) just to prove I read it that much. (laughs) And, uh, Mm -hmm. but all these things are happening. And I was just like, first, could something happen? Hello? I mean, also, I'm not usually that person going, a little action would be nice, more than a couple of pigs and a sign. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and so it just, I was really surprised. And that's why I just kept going. I was like, I'm going to read it. And I got to a hundred pages and was like, this is killing me. So it's, you know, I, I read all these different reviews. I could not find another person like me. So I (laughs) know I'm sure that persons like you, you know, totally exist. So I, I don't think I've seen the miniseries. And originally I thought maybe I had, but I've seen some clips on YouTube after I was finished reading it, um, just to familiarize myself with some of the actors and stuff. But I, um, I haven't seen it. I, I don't feel like I want to see it at this moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, in reading the book, you know, all of those tangents he takes, you know, like there's this main narrative, which we'll explain in just a second. But then he he goes off. He, it's like he's in no hurry, and then you'll start a chapter, and in this chapter, there's like a whole new character, and mm-hmm. um, it all comes together in the end. Um, mm-hmm. You know, all these narratives kind of pull together, but th- there wasn't a one of those that I was sorry to go down that road. In this whole 950-page book, it was like I, I got to a point where you you just trust the writer, and you're like, he's going to go down this road, and I'm going to go with him, you know, and... Um, everything to me was interesting. Um, everything that he did. Well, and I have to say, um, I do understand the way you felt about it because Rose recently read East of Eden and that was kind of one of her problems with the book. She liked it. She thought it was really a great book, but she said she found jarring all these ways. He would just kind of drift away over here and start talking about his grandmother. Hmm. Yeah. Or drift over here. She goes, the main narrative of the book was somewhere else and driving in a different direction. And um, I didn't, that didn't bother me. Yeah. I was in for the ride. I loved it. And so when you're saying that, I'm going, oh, right. That's a book where it worked for me. This book, I mean, for example, Lorena, who is the prostitute of the town, Instead of just telling me a little bit about her story, I get in-depth details of her previous relationships with men and how she was treated and all these things. And I was like, I didn't need or care about that. Mm-hmm. I mean, okay, tell me a little if it's important later on. And usually that's okay, I guess, because like East of Eden, but it did not work for me. So it's just uh, how it hit me. However... I'm really interested to hear what you have to say about overall. The The miniseries was great. Mm-hmm. I mean, Robert Duvall and Tommy Lee Jones, <laughs> amazing. Yeah, they're both great. Yeah. Um, Robert Urich, who I remember, I think is Dan Tanner in Vegas. And Robert Urich played... Uh, Jake Spoon. Jake Spoon, okay. Who yeah. was yeah. a... Um, <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, he. Yeah. It was completely opposite to the character he was playing in Vegas as a detective. Let me oh, just wow. say it like that. Yeah. So it was kind of interesting to watch. I mean, and and Chris Cooper is playing July Johnson. I have 
I've always kind of been interested in Chris Cooper as he's kind of always a secondary actor. Mm-hmm. But in this, I found him so sweet and lovable. And I just thought that was an interesting turn for his acting. So there were all kinds of interesting things about the miniseries. And I know I missed a lot by not taking those side trips and also by not having the advantage of knowing what people were thinking when important stuff was happening. I realize I'm kind of glossing yeah, it. Yeah. So uh, my apologies. I appreciate you <laughs> no being so nice <laughs> to let me no slide by all. like that. Absolutely. No, no worries at all. Yeah, and in this this book, um, it's been long enough for me on East of Eden that I don't remember all the details of those tangents. But in this book, all of the tangents pull together. It's like a, It's like a tree that ends up at a tip. You know okay. what I mean? Um, yeah. there, there's no tangents that he goes down that aren't pertinent or part of a narrative that ends up in the main narrative. Oh, okay. Um, so that's kind of a, an amazing thing to over 900 pages. He, he doesn't do anything that I can think of right now that I would say is a dead end. Okay. Um, there are characters that are left by the wayside, um, you know, still alive even. <laughs> Well, you know, this was the old west, um, right? But uh, you know, I can think of somebody that Roscoe encountered. Um, but let's talk first about uh, what what is this book? Um, so the the main narrative of this book has to do with uh, Gus and Call. So Captain Augustus McRae and Captain W. F. Call, who are former Texas Rangers. So they're you know on the older side. Um, they've gone through their career. They have spent their time basically fighting Indians and Mexicans, right? And pushing yeah. the frontier forward. Um, yeah, they're in was, South Texas. Right. So they own a ranch in Texas on the Mexican border where they don't rent pigs. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and then um, an ex-ranger friend of theirs, Jake Spoon, he shows up one day. And they're, you know, like you said, it's a very boring existence. They're just hanging out. You know, every day, you know, listening to Gus talk, who's a talker. Um, so the, this Jake Spoon, who's an ex-ranger, um, he comes in and he tells him that there's this bunch of great land in Montana. And whoever gets there first with cattle is just going to be really rich. So Call um, decides that they're going to drive cattle to Montana. Um just on Jake Spoon's word, right? Which is an amazing thing in itself because Jake is not very reliable. Um, but Call is ripe for adventure. He's absolutely. still patrolling absolutely. the river, even yeah. though there's no need to. And yeah. um, he he's intrigued by the idea there's still Indians to fight up there. Exactly. Exactly. And we can talk about that some more in just a second. Mm-hmm. You know, like what calls character. So really that's that's the main narrative of this story is Gus and Call and the crew driving cattle from Lonesome Dove, Texas to Montana, which is, you know, a long way. It's a ways. <laughs> and it's like three thousand head of cattle. It's a huge herd. And they're just uh driving them north. So that's the main narrative. And then there are all these other narratives, right? For example, very quickly in the beginning of the book, the the Jake Spoon, that ex-ranger friend of theirs, um, we learn actually during his first scene that um, he killed somebody in the town he came from, which was Arkansas, Fort Smith, Arkansas. And he killed, accidentally, a dentist. And mm-hmm. then so one of the tangents that we get immediately 
is we meet July Johnson, who is a sheriff in Fort Smith, Arkansas, who needs to go after Jake Spoon for the killing of this dentist. And we learn about his life and all the stuff that he's going through and his wife and his son and his deputy, right? And, um, you know, here's where, you know, there are parallels with Lord of the Rings. You know, there, there's a few parallels. Now, one is, you know, there's a fellowship that goes somewhere. But the other one is like, you know, this fellowship breaks up and, and comes together and breaks apart. And the, and the story will follow um, like July Johnson and his deputy Roscoe. So July Johnson leaves with and brings his son, Joe, with him to go find this outlaw, Jake Spoon. And Roscoe stays behind. He's the deputy. Well, then July Johnson's wife leaves, who's disgruntled in a, in a character in herself, right? She leaves. And so Roscoe is talked into, hey, you've got to go find July Johnson because his wife left. And he needs to, somebody needs to tell him his wife left, right? <laughs> so now Roscoe is headed out. And, and we follow Roscoe and July Johnson, you know, not unlike in Lord of the Rings, we'll follow Frodo and Sam and the other hobbits, you know, or these are all these things that are coming together, right? And then they right. all end up together. So, um, but that, that's the kind of thing, you know, constantly taking these, these tangents. And that's what the book is, um, you know, in a, in a, you know, a very high flyby. Um, and like you said, like... Um, like you said, it is extremely detailed. And when you read this stuff, um, it, th- there is a heck of a lot of nature. Um, you're reading about the terrain. You're reading about the animals on the terrain. In fact, there's a number of animal characters, I would say. You know, from, hmm. uh, you know, the hell bitch, which is the horse that Call rides. Oh, yeah. And then to the front bull. The, there's a bull that um, oh. is leading the pack all the time that is talked mm-hmm. about all the time. And actually, I don't know if this is in the movie or not, gets in a fight with a grizzly bear. Oh, um, no. Okay. And then there's like the herd itself. Um, some scenes that I remember there is, you know, uh, an incredible rainstorm and lightning yeah. bouncing around the horns and stuff. Um, so nature itself is a thing that they're dealing with all mm-hmm. the time because they're like got to figure out how to get they got to figure out how to go over the rivers with these cows. They've got to figure out um, where the next water is, you know. So there's a, a wonderful character named Dietz, one of my favorites, you know, one of the oh, most yeah. virtuous characters you'll ever meet. And there's a parallel with, like, East of Eden, you know. It's kind of like, you know, that that uh, Chinese character in East of thinking, Eden. I was just thinking, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, it, it feels Steinbeckish in a lot of ways. Um, but Dietz is a uh, black character who is the scout and he'll ride way ahead of the whole herd and basically figuring out where they need to go. And then he'll come back and tell them, okay, the next water is a day away and it's right here. Uh, let's go that way. Right. That was his job. And, um, um, yeah. So to, to me, it was just an incredibly rich thing. And then, um, so besides the nature and all this stuff that, uh, McMurtry is taking time to tell us about, there's the characters, right? And uh, every character he touches gets backstory, gets, uh, you know, conversation. Um, it's just very deeply character-driven stuff. Well, and it's interesting that you keep saying it's like Lord of the Rings. 
because <laughs> in that sense, I will say uh, people who've listened a long time or to that those episodes may remember, I tried to read Lord of the Rings several times and always got stuck after The Fellowship. I just couldn't get into the rest of the book. Mm -hmm. And then Corey Olson at Mythgard Academy. Well, it wasn't Mythgard Academy at the time. He was the Tolkien professor, and he had a podcast of these classes that he taught, and he had a series that he taught about Tolkien. And so listening to him talk about the Lord of the Rings in that, I suddenly went, I'm just going to try it again. And so with him as my guide to show me what else was in the book, I could do that. Mm Mm-hmm. And I got through it, and also I listened to the audio. So those two things are what made me go, oh, Mm -hmm. I get it. And it went from being something that I would have placed with my feelings right now about Lonesome Dove into a book that I love and treasure and is probably number one on my top ten, top five list. Mm. Gotcha. Always accepting the Bible, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) And and the catechism, done. But anyway, um, so what it did occur to me about this book was I might do better with the audio, and you warned me the audio is not good. So Yeah, unfortunately uh, right now it's not. Um, so they recorded this audio book a long time ago. Lee Horsley did it. Do you remember Lee Horsley? Mm-mm. He was a, an actor on a TV show. I can't remember what the TV show was, but um, he, was like, he was like a Texas Ranger or something, but I don't think it was an Old West. I think it was a contemporary, but he was a ranger. Um, like Walker, Texas Ranger kind Yeah, of this would have yeah. been in the 80s, right? So mm-hmm. um, anyway, uh, I did go looking for an audio version, uh, but the audio version is the same audio version as that, but it's remastered and improved. <laughs> we talked mm-hmm. about improving things, you know? Oh, so yeah. they remastered it, and now you can hear every breath he takes. Um, oh, no. And I know, I know that it's not... Um, it wasn't that way originally because I did find a an original version, mm-hmm. um, and it's not like that. Um, so whatever okay. they did, they amplified every breath, and it's just like maddening. And then uh. the other thing is that the way he does Gus is just not okay. So, so um, McMurtry does say that Gus is a loud person. He talks yeah. all the time, right? Oh boy, he is not quiet, right? But. But uh, the way that Horsley does it is it's all practically yelling. Every time that Gus is speaking, oh. it's like, blah, 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 blah. You know, you're just like, man, that's, it's just not, uh, it's not quite right. He didn't pull that off. Yeah. <laughs> so to me, it's just not worth it. Yeah. Surely they, they are getting enough complaints. And I, I did on Audible that it's full of complaints. So surely, you know, they've got to be thinking, hey, wouldn't it be great to have a good audio version of Lonesome Dove? How can yeah. it not be? So yeah. hopefully, if you know, listen to it when they do that. Hopefully, somebody's on it. Well, that's the thing. And also, I've mentioned this Close Reads podcast. They have a subscriber uh, bit that they do via Substack, and mm. that's where they do their longer books. And one of the hosts of the show just loves this book. Mm. Says it's the great American novel. Which I don't know if we can have one. We're a big country, but. Uh, a great American novel. And and so he 
um, has been talking about doing this on that podcast. And that may again be the thing where that may be it, yeah. just listening, because I know that when they did True Grid on their regular thing, that's where I was like, eh, I don't want to read it or watch it, but I'll listen to them talk about it. And about halfway through, I went, okay, I'm going to go ahead and read it. And it's, of course, a great book. Cool. So, um, you know, these are the things that help you, the, the kind of the instructors encouraging you to go along. So I will probably revisit it when they do that. I'm cool. not going to reread that first yeah. 100 pages. That's Let me know when happening. they do because I would like to go along for that ride too. Okay, so that'd I be totally fun. will. Yeah, yeah. And I will just say, uh, you know, this is a different podcast, of course, but they do a really great job with both their regular free feed they're going to talk about a gentleman in Moscow later this year Ooh. and that kind of thing. They just talked about Tess of the Durbervilles, which I skipped because no, thank you. So depressing. <laughs> but, um, but then this subscriber feed I've really enjoyed. They did an outstanding coverage of the Lord of the Rings, which is what got me to listening. They did crime and punishment, which I had never thought I'd read. Mm. And it was really good. Um, they're, they're, uh, they just did That's Anna great. Karenina, mm-hmm. which I'm now listening to and listening to them. And so um, it's nice. well worth mm-hmm. it if anybody's interested in those books and listening to some really good commentary. Wonderful. And also they're Christian. Mm-hmm. So um, they will add a dimension that other book conversations often don't add. Very good. And it's a really mm-hmm. well thought out, you know. Good. I love so, it. Very cool. Yeah. Anyway. Awesome. Yeah. I love it. Okay. So um, – so yeah, so we've given kind of the main feel of it, and I would like to then, um, in the interest of time, move straight into spoiler territory. Yes. Um, because this is 900 pages. We could have done this over a few podcasts for sure. I'm sure. It's cl- I'm sure close reads. I'm sure close <laughs> reads will do it uh, in multiple. <laughs> oh yes. But as it should be. But I, you know, so. So, if you don't want to hear any spoilers, you know, please feel free to jump off here. But, um, but that's the main narrative of it, and uh, it's it's a book to experience for sure. Um, so, I mean, let's start off talking about Gus and Call, which is the obvious, you know, main thing to talk about. Um, so, so the thing that I I was thinking there is, you know, Gus and Call. So they're Rangers. They had a whole life before this time, and um, they spent their lives, like I said, fighting. And it's almost like, you know, the, the characters that civilization, you know, sends forth to tame the frontier so that civilization can move into the frontier, right? But at the same time, it's like when they, if they succeed, they are making a place that they're not really welcome in anymore or <laughs> yeah, can't survive right. in anymore, right? Right. So they've got to move on. So so when we meet Gus and Call in in Lonesome Dove, which is the town, um, they Call especially. Call is just extremely quiet. He's stoic. He's he's separating. It's like he has no attachments. You know what I mean? He's he's when he camps, he camps away from people. Um, he gets up in the morning. One of the first times that we see him is he's out, uh, he's like a mile away from Lonesome Dove, just sitting there looking at the, um, in fact, there, there was a, a line that I, I just loved in that. Um, see if I can find it here. Um, it just says here, of course, real scouting skills were superfluous in a place as tame as Lonesome Dove, but calls still like to get out at night sniff the breeze, and let the country talk. 
The country talked quiet. One human voice could drown it out, particularly if it was a voice as loud as Augustus McRae's. <laughs> you know? So he, he just likes, he goes out, and he, in the entire book he's this way. It's like if they're on the cattle drive and they camp for the night, he doesn't sleep with everybody. He goes somewhere else, right? He just kind of uh, separates himself from, from the crowd. Um, but so, so I guess I'm saying, you know, like, like you alluded to before, when, when Jake Spoon comes in, he's apt, you know, he's, he's ripe for, oh, there's more interesting things happening over here. Interesting in my way, another frontier to conquer. I, I need to go. And, um, even though, you know, so it, it surprised Gus a little bit, he was just like, um, you know, uh, it was like he was really keen to the idea. He said, um, you know, it, it wasn't that Call is out to look for a fortune. That that wasn't his motivation. It was like, I need to get out of here. <laughs> I need to right. go out of here and do something. Right? Well, and these guys are such good friends mm-hmm. because they've been around each other so long. They fight and argue, but it's never really serious. It's like an old married couple. And it's for much the same reason as an old married couple, in a way, which is that they've been through all this stuff together. Yeah, They know things about each other, about themselves, and about just having lived through things. They've got history there that no one else has or shares. And so when Call is ready to go on this adventure and says it, you can just see Gus going, yeah, why not? Yeah. And that's how Gus is. He's like, yeah, why not? Right? Yeah. Um, he, he's always saying things about life. You know, he's he's just throwing these sentences out. You know, you know, life is good. You know, it, it's, it, uh, and he doesn't work a hell of a lot. You know, it's like he'll work when he needs to work. Like when something's happening, he is right on it. Right? Right. But he likes to relax. He likes to enjoy life. Um, whereas Call feels like he's got to be doing something. Um, you know, um, so, so yeah, there's those two. And I, and I loved that whole dynamic of it throughout the whole thing where, um, they do know each other so well and have been through so much that, um, they know what each other are going to do. Right. Yeah. (laughs) The people will say, well, I reckon so-and-so is going to do this and whoever the other one is who's around will go, oh no. He don't do that, or he he don't feel that way, <laughs> or this right. is how he thinks about it. Yeah, and I know in um, the miniseries anyway, when Gus is telling Newt, a young man who's along on the drive, that Call is actually his father, and Newt is saying, "Why doesn't he tell me?" And he's like, "Cause he don't want to think he's human." Mm. He's trying to be better than everything. Yeah, you know, he's yep. trying to rise above, and to him. Rising above means not having all these human connections. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I don't know if that's what Stoicism, the philosophy, is like. Um, You know, I've only brushed up against that philosophy. It seems to be popular amongst uh, some, uh, I don't know, like self-help type folks Mm -hmm. on on YouTube and stuff. Um, But I don't fully understand it. But Call is definitely... Um, stoic in the way that he he feels like 
he can't have attachment. It, it's I don't know if he feels like he he just doesn't deserve that attachment. Um, you you start to wonder throughout the book, you know, as things happen, you know, as as he he acts, it's like um, he just shuns it somehow. It's it's like so. Um, but you know, he feels it because yes, he's right. Again, was, I'm yeah. coming from a different perspective. But when Jake Spoon has to be hung, hmm. there's just he doesn't say anything. But in the pause that happens and the look on his face and the way he gives him a second yeah. to collect himself and says, well, he, he, had it, he did it right. He died right. Mm-hmm. Yep, he did. That's the one yep, tribute he, he can that. give him. Mm-hmm. And so he does feel it, but he's not going to acknowledge it even mm-hmm. to himself very much. Yeah. And so I'm surprised with all that backstory. We don't get some backstory to say, and here's why Call felt that way. Mm-hmm. It's probably better not to, frankly, because you can't yeah, always understand everybody. There are, there everybody. are other books. I know that um, Larry McMurtry wasn't planning to write other books, but um, I'm sure that we'll see some other things, you know, uh, whoever cared to read the other ones, <laughs> mm-hmm, <laughs> which I have previews. not. I have not. Yeah. I have not. So I've heard they weren't as good when I was looking around. Um, so, yeah, when we, when we talk about Call, um, we kind of need to connect him with Newt. So Newt is a young man that's that's in their crew that everybody generally knows is Call's son, but uh, Call has not acknowledged Newt, and um, so there will be various times throughout the book, especially when we meet Clara. <laughs> Clara's like, "Oh, that's Call's son." <laughs> I mean, she, she yeah. sees him. She sees him and just like, "Oh, that's Call's son." He walks like him. He talks like him. He just is, you know. So she, to her, it was just completely obvious. And we'll, we'll talk about Clara too. But yeah, she, Clara's great. Clara's like one of the best. So yeah. Um, so the, uh, so call, you know, th- this non-acknowledgement of Newt, and even at the end of the book, I'm not sure how it was in the movie, but near the end of the book, um, when he's leaving Newt, um, he can't even acknowledge it then. Although he gives That's him a right. watch, he gives him the, the his grandfather's watch. Mm-hmm. He gives him his horse. Um, Mm -hmm. it's, and it basically leaves him in charge and, Mm -hmm. uh, just can't say it and leaves. Yeah. It's, it was, I have to say, it does sound like everything I saw because it's Tommy Lee Jones just looking at him kind of agonized going, I, and he's like, huh? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do you want to say? (laughs) I, (laughs) and then he just turns around and leaves and he's like, that's it. I hate everyone. That's right. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly how it was. That's cool. So the uh but I mean what what the hell is wrong with that man? You know, it's just like to me, I mean that that's what it was. It was like in order for him to say that, you know, so Clara actually noted this. It would be him admitting a weakness right. in his character that is against like what his duty is. Because he didn't he didn't do the things that he needed to do that were right at that time, right? Because mm-hmm. the, the guy, the kid's mom has died, um, you know. So I'm sure that yeah. there are all kinds of feelings there about you know uh, what his responsibility was, but he didn't follow through with any of those responsibilities. He didn't do his duty, and uh, he couldn't. He's admit not it. the reason that Newt was there with the guys. Yeah, he could be right. I mean, to me, that would be, I don't know about when he was, knew it was no, little. They talk, you know, so at the very beginning, at the very beginning, uh, Jake Spoon rolls in um, when he's getting ready to tell him about Montana, you know, and uh, 
he notes, he says, oh, Newt is with you guys. And, uh, and Gus is the one. He's talking to Gus. I don't even know if Call is present. But Gus mm-hmm. says, yeah, you know, when his mom died, we just took him in and we raised him. Right. Yeah. So you don't know who made that decision. And, of mm-hmm. course, Gus is the more fatherly one. Yeah. More yeah. paternal. Um and more caring about yeah. community. Not that he's all soppy, but you know, <laughs> when it, when it needs to get said, he says it. But look yeah. at these two characters. I'm just now thinking. So, but think about what Call does for Gus after Gus dies. Yes. He fulfills the most ridiculous request. I mean, I get it. It's a sentimental <laughs> request, but everyone mm-hmm. says, and they were right. You don't have to do this. That's right. You don't have to take the body all the way back to Lonesa or to San Antonio to that little place where you guys had picnics with Clara. <laughs> all this place and yep. bury him there and take his leg and all the stuff, right? Yeah. You don't have to do this. However, he does it. He does. And he yeah. goes through hell to do it. And I'm right now thinking, this is how he says, I love you. Mm. This is the man who can't verbalize it, but he shows it through actions. Mm. And um, we see that as a deficit, of course, because, you know, sometimes you need to hear the words, but he does everything he can for Newt. He gives him his watch. He gives him his horse. He gives him the the leadership of the ranch. Mm. That's, he gives everything he has to him as a legacy. He cannot say the words and he should be able to, but which of us is perfect? And so Gus is, seems more complete. But look at Gus. Yeah. He Gus can't make a commitment. Important. He's all <laughs> words and much less action. He shows it through talking and interpreting. And I think of when he rescued Lorena from Blue Duck. Oh, my mm. gosh. And and what I saw in the miniseries when he was going through helping her through that trauma. And he's the pragmatic one. He knows what to say. And you can count on him in a lot of circumstances. But if you're a woman, I don't think you can. I think Clara read his character right. So each of them kind of, Call and Gus, kind of make the complete expression of, you know, actions and words between them. But separately, each of them has their flaws. So it really is like a marriage in that sense. That's a really good point. And uh, neither of them are suited for civilization, again. Um, Agreed. Neither of them can, can settle. They just can't. That's interesting. Yeah. And they, even though even though they're different, they can't settle. Yeah, that is interesting. Well, and then of course we see them contrasted with someone like Jake Spoon. You've got Dietz who's who's really great guy. Yeah. But I don't I didn't get to see much of Dietz interiorly or whatever. Yeah, he's just we, even he's in just the Danny book, Glover being the, amazing. Yeah, you even, know? He was Danny Glover? That's awesome. Yeah. Um, he was you know, awesome. So even even uh, <laughs> even in the book you don't know a lot about Dietz. You know some okay. but you care about him a great deal. Um, right. He's uh, amazing. Yeah, yeah, just just, you know, yeah, sheer competence. I mean, it was awesome. You know, he, yeah. he was he, he was, yeah. He was wonderful. But so you've got him, and then you have Jake Spoon. Yeah. Who is good looking, gets by on charm, uh, is able to make promises that you already know he's not going to keep. I'm like, San Francisco is never happening, <laughs> Marina. Do not trust this guy. Yeah. However, um, and because he has such a. Uh, easygoing nature and just takes the next thing that comes along 
and doesn't really seem to care deeply. Like when he shot the dentist by accident, it's because he was shooting at someone else and missed and went right through the wall of the building (laughs) to some poor guy. He just lights out of town. Mm -hmm. He doesn't stop to offer reparation or anything. No. He just runs away. And that's kind of his. So you've got Dietz, Jake Spoon, and in the middle are Call and Gus. Yeah, yeah. So there's a story in, uh, well, kind of some inner dialogue in the book um, where they talk about Jake Spoon's time in the Rangers and oh. how he was super young. He was young for these guys, you know, so Augustus uh, and Call are older than Jake Spoon. Mm-hmm. But Jake Spoon came, he was really green and stuff. And he he got famous, I in quotes. Yes. He got famous yeah. because he shot an Indian that was charging um, but it was like an accident almost. It was yeah. like he, he wasn't aiming at the Indian. He was aiming at the horse and he hit the Indian and it looked <laughs> like an incredible shot. Right. And he, his whole reputation was built around that thing. And call was pretty disgusted by that. And, um, so, so the, uh, they said, um, I think it was Gus who said something, you know, it was interesting that, you know, he, in his in his Rangers, it was an accidental shot that made him famous, and here an accidental shot is going to get him hung. Mm, you know, mm-hmm. so. Well, yeah. So did they so mention everything... that in the miniseries? You were not. You were. You were saying, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh okay. yeah. No, very they, good. I'm mm-hmm. completely impressed by the way that you know you're not getting all the every everything obviously, mm-hmm. but they seem to have hit everything. And in that first hundred pages, I read. I felt pretty satisfied by what I was seeing because the internal important parts of internal monologue or character were conveyed with a line or two of dialogue just in Mm. passing and moving on. Yeah. So you get all these things. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, so Jake Spoon is the person who's, he's weak and selfish. And when you get enough things by luck without having to have the discipline of working for it, you wind up never having an anchor. And then Dietz is supremely competent. You know, in fact, when he died, I was very annoyed by, you know, him just going, well, going to help a blind Indian child Mm -hmm. when they had everybody. Okay. When they had everybody hidden because they'd kind of come on the camp where they were eating the horses they'd stolen because they were so hungry and everything. And I'm like, what are you doing? You know better than that. This is stupid. <laughs> you know better than that. <laughs> you know, come on. Yeah. And so to me, that was the one part of the story that did not ring true. But um, but he was so competent that um, you trusted him. Yeah. He knew what he yeah. was doing. Unlike Jake, he right. should never trust. And they're following him to Montana. Or <laughs> right. It's like he's the one who said, yeah, go to Montana. Yeah, and, uh, and then he immediately abandons them so he could right. just camp out with Lorena. Yeah, and then later abandons Lorena because he wants to go oh. gamble, right? So Yeah, because he's mad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yep. then look what happens to her. Yeah, that was rough. Yeah. Yeah, incredible stuff. So, yeah, so Lorena, um, you know, gets abducted by Indians. And, um, well... I say Indians, you know, it was Blue Duck, right? Blue Duck, who's even it shunned was. by the Comanche. <laughs> he's, he's awful. Yeah, he's he's like, yeah. So, um, yeah, he gets, you know, so yeah, she went through hell and then uh, Gus. Gosh, that was that was quite a thing in the book. Um, so here's where July Johnson and 
Roscoe mm. and oh, Joe Janie. and everybody. Yeah, and, and Janie. Janie. Yes. Oh. They all come the together. Thing, it was just, right? yeah. Yeah. And that that uh, chapter where um, Roscoe gets killed, you know, we're in spoiler territory, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is unbelievable. I read it twice. It was, I've never felt that way in you know, uh, God, I, how I, how do I even describe it? Just how he did that, um, and, and it was from Roscoe's point of view. So Roscoe is sitting there, and he's he's like dozing, sleeping, and Janie wakes him up and says, "Somebody's over here," you know. And then um, that whole scene is told yeah. from Roscoe's point of view, and uh, it is amazing to read. It is just something. Yeah, that whole "Where's Joe?" Oh, yeah. was that his name? And I was like, "Not exactly, Joe." Exactly. Yeah. 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 It yeah. was uh, brutal, and it makes you realize just how evil this character is. And I will say, for all for the characters in the middle, like Call mm-hmm. and Gus, and some of the others, Newt, who's conflicted, um, you do have some characters who are all good or all bad, and Blue Duck is just the worst. Yeah. Yeah. The worst. Yep. <laughs> Incredible. And then, uh, yeah, then Lorena, Gus saves Lorena. And like you said, you know, he's showing uh, some incredible compassion by um, helping her hold together and saying the right things, like you said, and hanging well, with her and, and kind of knowing what she needs. Yeah. And he also was the one who could deliver because he spent a lot of time thinking and talking. But he could deliver some wisdom in ways that people could hear it. Not that he was always wise. Mm-hmm. But when he's telling Lorena that she said they did not to have taken me. Mm-hmm. He says, well, they did not to have taken you, but they did. And he's saying it in a very kind way. And he says, but you need to cry it out or it'll drag you backwards. Right, right. And so um, you kind of think about it and go... You know, has he seen this happen with Call? What what has there been in his life that's caused him to shut things off? Um, and so I thought, you know, more people need to be told that in terms of this horrible thing happened and yes, you need to you need to cry it out. You need to acknowledge it. But don't stay there. Mm-hmm. Don't remain a victim forever. Yeah. That drags you backwards. Then you have to Move forward. It's part of who you are, but move forward. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think often the common wisdom we hear doesn't include the moving forward. Agreed. Agreed. And there are other examples of that in here too. So mm-hmm. um, it's like, uh, so I'm looking through some of the things that I highlighted, but when uh Let's see, how far is this into the book here? Um, no, 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 no. There it is. So I'm at about page 389. Um, I've got the Kindle version here. But it says, um, you know, if you was a young girl with life before you, would you want to settle in Lonesome Dove? Augustus acts, asked Maggie done it, and look how long she lasted. Maggie yeah. is the mother of Newt. And uh, she might have died any place, Call said. I'll die someplace, and so will you. It might yes. not be no better place than Lonesome Dove. 
It ain't dying I'm talking about. It's living, Augustus said. I doubt it matters where you die, but it matters where you live. And that is like saying almost the same thing. You know, it's kind of a theme of this thing is overcoming these things, you know, you know, love and death and um, overcoming, Um, not forgetting, but like you said, but moving forward. Yeah. And I actually wrote down that from the, the mini series too, because it was key and it, it did show both ways of looking at it. One is a fatalistic way and the other is an optimistic way. Mm hmm. Because you're still living. Right. You have to go on and do these things. Absolutely. And then you think of Clara and the tragedy oh, yeah. she's currently going through with her husband, who mm-hmm. is hurt and never going to recover. Mm-hmm. And then her sons, who she lost. Yeah. Um, deeply sad. <laughs> you know, it's just heartbreaking, you know. Um, but, you know, what do you do? What do you do with that? You, do you live there now? Or do you find a way to pick up and keep going? And I think that that is something that happens over and over in this book. Yeah, and she's, I guess, the opposite. She's the epitome of picking up and keeping going. She still mourns those boys. Yeah. But when, let's see, is her name Ellie? Mm-hmm. Ellie, July Johnson's wife. has oh, Elmira. Uh, she's, Elmira. Yeah, Ellie. Elmira. Right. Yeah, right. But she has yep. a baby. Yeah. And uh, she has, you know, her and July Johnson's baby, but she immediately abandons the baby and moves <laughs> on to be with the man yeah. that she's trying to find, who's obviously no good Nick, but yeah. it's she's in love with him and she doesn't think about anything else or anyone else. She's completely yeah. self centered. Yeah. And um And Clara's and another Clara, example of a super competent person. Right. And Clara also though is the example of the person who is looking forward. She'll mm-hmm. never forget her sons, and she still has that sorrow. But now here's a new baby. Yeah. And yeah. she'll take care of this baby. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and Elmira is the example of looking backwards, I guess, when you look at it that way. Because yeah, she's going she's, to, Yeah, she's point. had a husband. I thought Joe was her child maybe from a different marriage. I That was never made very clear. She just acted like she didn't care about him at all. So, um, but she is working as hard as she can and destroying people along the way in order to get back to this guy who she loved more. Mm -hmm. And it gets her nothing. She is totally living in the past and letting it drag her backwards. And she finds him and he's going to be hung in a few days and she's practically bleeding to death. And then she basically commits suicide by Indian (laughs) by going the most dangerous way that she's been warned about back to St. Louis and dying on the way. Yeah. Yeah. With these thugs. (laughs) I've never yeah. seen Steve Buscemi's looks used to more effect. <laughs> I will Buscemi. say. No, I yeah. have to watch it. Yeah, oh no, it's it's worth watching. That's I mean, fun. it's the acting and mm-hmm. and uh, clearly they hit the main points without being able to hit the deep stuff. It's like, like I say, it's like a Lord of the Rings movie instead of the book. But um, but I, I hadn't really thought about her and Clara being doubled because Clara is so much richer and deeper and you're getting more of her story as you go. Mm-hmm. And, um, but they've got the opposite ways of living, mm-hmm. you know, Clara yeah. is nurturing. And, and in fact, I kept worrying every time somebody came driving up to the house, the little girls come out and go, oh. hi. And I'm like, does no one in this house have a gun? <laughs> does no one know that there's monsters oh, out there? This is what Blue happens. Is yeah. over the horizon. Yeah, I, just, I was thinking about that too. She said, you know, yeah, we built this house right where, you know, everybody's going to go by here on the way to here. 
you know? So yeah. I was like, oh man, that seems not good to me. It's like, you want to be somewhere off the trail, I guess. Um, <laughs> well, or at least have a gun when you yeah, go to say hello. But they're thinking, Keep the you kids know, behind you. Right. Uh, and they're just yeah. thinking, you know, it's great for business and stuff, which of course it is. You know, it's, it's yeah. really forward thinking. But but when they caught yeah. Blue Duck, he just finished killing a family. I know. So, yeah. you know, yeah. I guess this is, she's going to be optimistic about it. And Larry yeah. McMurtry is going to let her have that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Everybody and, then, and then if we contrast Jake Spoon again, um, you know, Jake Spoon is, um, Call actually said he just kind of drifts. Any wind can blow him. Right. And so there is no solidity. There is no, um, there's no Clara in him, right? You know, Clara, yeah. Clara has got that. The winds don't blow her. Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. she's got roots. She's put them down. Mm-hmm. It sounds like her husband was like that too. And she decided. Yeah. She said she couldn't take uh she wanted to marry gus she loved gus but she knew what he would be like right she knew so he, he would drift off and he come was back not someone that was suitable for the life she wanted right so mm-hmm. maybe he's not the great he's the great love of her life and she chose the husband instead but it was still a good life and look how devoted she was to the husband when he'd had mm-hmm. his accident yeah so it's interesting looking at all those different comparisons you know Mm -hmm. it's like july johnson he easily could have become like jake spoon because he only goes off after jake spoon when he's urged to by peach or peaches or whatever (laughs) his very headstrong woman in the town yeah and he kind of does it but he doesn't really know what he's doing Mm -hmm. and of course maybe the difference is he's very unlucky on his watch essentially roscoe and everybody get killed yeah and then he winds up following his wife, who has been killed by then or has run off by then. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, he went and found her. Yeah. Didn't he? In the yeah. town. So, but yeah, yeah. But you're right. I mean, that's, that's exactly right. But, you know? Yeah. So he goes back and he's like, well, I guess I can get a job here. And I know that in the book, he's, he wants Clara to marry him. Yeah. So he ends up at Clara's, you know, and his son, you know, that... Elmira, yeah. Elmira had so, um, but yeah, he grows in that, and he does get to the point where he's like, you know, hey, I want to marry you, you know, and uh, there was a scene there too that I thought was fantastic where his son gets ill. Did that happen mm. in the movie? Um, so his son got ill, and and we know Clara has lost all her sons to illness, oh. and she's sitting up with that baby, and um, just worried sick i mean it it just you know she's just like oh my god not again why does god not want me to have a boy you know Mm -hmm. and um so july so she tells july johnson i'm scared to death here you know uh this is just killing me and then she goes up and sits with the with the baby and july johnson is like oh my gosh she touched my hand um, I'm getting somewhere here. You know what I mean? This is what's going through <laughs> yeah. his head. And then this he's like, yeah. And then the next morning, um, the, the baby made it through the night and the fever is broken. So the baby's going to make it. And mm-hmm. she comes down and she's furious. And July Johnson is in the barn and she just lets him have it. She says, how, why were you not up there with me last night? I was up I'm there thinking the by same myself, thing. you know? Yeah. I told you how afraid I was, and you didn't come up. 
Yeah. And she was so mad. <laughs> she was right. She, yep. So I was waiting to hear you go, and he goes up and he sits all night with her. Yeah. No, <laughs> no, he didn't. <laughs> Ding he, dong. That's the thing. He was just, you know, thinking of himself, I guess. But she was right? just like, and she, you know, because he had asked her to marry him before that, if I remember right. So she mm-hmm. was considering it. You know, she was just like, oh, you know, he he may, you know, it may be not so bad. And then, um, all that stuff just got rolled up into that incident and she just let it fly, you know? So, you know, Gus and, and him and her husband and how she was mad at her husband because he wasn't great with horses, but he, he put himself in a stupid spot. Oh, yeah. Um, So, I mean, all of that is, so she was just really, really mad at men, period. (laughs) So she let it out and then got back to normal. You know what I mean? That, which mm-hmm. is how she did it, you know, so, um, but that was good. Well, yeah, because if you love someone, you don't just go, great, I'm getting somewhere. Yeah. You think, exactly. oh no, yeah. this, and also it's his baby. Right, right. I get the guys don't always said. think it's of babies baby. the same, but you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. I, so. I get it. Yeah, but for sure. But he also, you know, with the way his wife was. It didn't look like he was getting a lot of affection or attention otherwise no, anyway from her. He Just wasn't, the brief yeah. glimpse I got of them together. So he also had had no training, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But still you would think your internal feelings of a man's natural feelings, this is me thinking this, mm-hmm. is to protect the ones he loves. Mm-hmm. That's a guy's instinct. Yeah. And right. you can't really do anything, but you can be with them to try to protect them. I'll bring you some water. I'll do this. Do you have a blanket? Whatever. Mm, Maybe I'm thinking of it the wrong way. I don't know. No, you're not. Yeah. Okay. And Gus showed us that too, right? I mean, with how he treated Lorena. Right. Right. That's true. That's what Gus did, you know. So um, July has some things to learn. (laughs) Yeah. I'm really appreciating the contrasts and. um, Yeah. I mean, there's doubles all over this thing. Like, story structure. yeah. Yeah. That is showing us. Here's right, wrong, here's in between, here's how you get from there, here to there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because what you, what you see when, you know, Newt's like, that's it, I don't have a father and I never trust anyone again, mm-hmm. he tells P.I. And um, then, but he's clearly the kind of person who has to connect with people. Yeah. I mean, I know he's young. Mm-hmm. But you feel as if that won't turn him into call unless everybody just abandons him and ignores him. And I don't feel like that's really true. Yeah, yeah. But, of course, that's left open. For sure, for sure. Like all our lives. (laughs) Like all our lives, right. Well, something I read Mm -hmm. was I was really curious about why this was called Lonesome Dove. Oh, yes. When in book terms, they spend like maybe a ninth of the book in it. And... I went looking around because I thought this crappy little town, come on. And somebody made the point, they said, doves mate for life. Mm-hmm. And so all these different characters are seeking a partner or have lost a partner. Absolutely right. Yeah. And they were thinking, they were talking about mates. Mm-hmm. But when I mentioned this to you, you said, well, everybody in the book is lonesome. And yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, because Newt's looking for the love of, of a parent and mm-hmm. acceptance that way. Um, yeah, but yeah. You're, you're exactly right. So I found an interview of Larry McMurtry. Okay. And um, so the, the history of this book is, is interesting. So he, um, 
he had some success with a movie. Um, I'm trying to remember what the movie was. Um, the Last Picture Show. That's I think that's right. Yeah, and and yeah. they were and they were talking about how um, him and some of the crew that made that movie wanted to do a western. So he he was messing around, and and that's kind of how he put it. He was off and on writing a script for a western that none of the, nobody was interested in. He kept you know bringing it to them, and they were like ah, you know that's that doesn't seem to be going somewhere mm-hmm. super interesting. So then he started to write it as a novel, and he said, you know, he would dip in and out of it. it. It just wasn't the foremost thing on his mind. And then he saw one day, he's in Texas, because um, he, he does live in Texas. He lived in Texas, yeah. yes. So he, um, he saw a bus, and on the side of the bus it said, Lonesome Dove Baptist Church. And he was like, aha, everything just clicked. And with that title... He was able to have the focus to do the rest of it. He he knew somehow that clicked, and it was like I know what the rest of this is. I know what all of this is. And How then he then he wrote the book with the title. Did he say what it was? Did he have a summary? He, he said, for it? Um, "Yeah, well, no, he he didn't specifically say anything about that, but he did say the lonesome dove in the book is Newt." Okay. So he was actually specifically thinking about Newt. Okay. Um. Yeah, which I thought was really interesting. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, so another thing, you know, as we come to a close here, I know that we're going <laughs> to, we could talk for a long, long time. We, we, haven't <laughs> talked about, we haven't talked about a lot of the cowboy stuff that's in here, too, um, which I, I wanted, I wanted to bring stuff. it up. Yeah, there's lots of cowboy stuff. But um, on, on Wikipedia, I wanted to read this because I thought this was interesting, too. So McMurtry, you know, uh, he often says, I'm sure he's talked about this. I know he passed away, but he Mm -hmm. um, he's talked about this book a lot. Obviously, it won the Pulitzer Prize. It's what kind of really made him famous and stuff. Um, So but he he was looking to write, you know, uh, Westerns had become very specific in genre. Um, You know, the the cowboy hero. There's always mm-hmm. the love interest, you know. There, there's this we these read the tropes, Virginian. exactly yeah. all these tropes and stuff. And he's like, you know, so part of what he was doing here is he was trying to portray it realistically, almost a historical novel, right? Which, well, it was a historical, not yeah. almost, right? Yeah. So, um, but here it says McMurtry himself eventually expressed dissatisfaction with the popularity of the novel, particularly after the miniseries. In the preface to the 2000 edition, he wrote. It's hard to go wrong if one writes at length about the Old West. Still the phantom leg of the American psyche, which I think is a really interesting <laughs> yeah. metaphor there. Yeah, it's it's distinctively American. Yes. And it says something about our mentality, about who we are. Right, right. And he says, I thought I had written about a harsh time and some pretty harsh people. But to the public at large, I had produced something nearer to an idealization Instead of a poor man's inferno filled with violence, faithlessness, and betrayal, I had actually delivered a kind of gone with the wind of the West, a turnabout I'll be mulling over for a long, long time. <laughs> I thought that was interesting. <laughs> yeah. That's that thing we've said about the artist doesn't always know what it's he's producing until other people are looking at it and going, well, here's what I see. That's right. It is filled with violence, faithlessness, and betrayal. And it is uh-huh. harsh. There's a lot uh-huh. of harsh in this book. Uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> so well, you told me that and I was like, mm-hmm. 
I think he did what he set out to do. The poor man's inferno filled (laughs) with violence, faithlessness, and whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, But, you know, Gone with the Wind was filled with all that stuff, too. Yes. It still had the idealized part, but it was idealized from whatever point of view. Mm -hmm. So, in what we've been looking at with these characters... The story that he put in there is clearly what people are resonating with. And, you know, all the other stuff, they enjoy that, too. I, It's funny, um, because he hit so many things. Mm -hmm. You know, he was ticking all the Western boxes, the cattle drive, the Indians, the very bad Indian that you can hate because he's just awful. He doesn't care about anyone. The, Mm. The prostitute with the heart of gold. You know, the wise old cowboy, the stoic cowboy. The, he's hit the young man who's, uh, you know, who am I? I mean, everything. Hmm. But yeah. it's still very modern mm-hmm. in the fact that it's very gritty and all that backstory is being told, too. Yeah. I think. Mm-hmm. And that must be that unique combination that people love. Yeah. It's just something that he hit on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, really good. So well, I didn't, I didn't I, know what was going oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, did you know that he was a um, bookseller as well? Oh, yeah. He, yeah, rare, I always rare meant books. to get out to Archer City where mm-hmm. he had the three-story uh, used and rare books. Because when he was a young boy, he was very poor. Mm. And uh, I've read the very beginning, like the Kindle sample he's written about his life. Yeah, it's called Books and Memoir, and I have read that book. I thought it was really good. Yeah, and I just was really struck by the fact that, you know, books were such a rare commodity. When he discovered them, he was just like, oh, my gosh. (laughs) And um, because his family didn't read, and he'd never really come across that kind of thing, and he was poverty-stricken, as I said. And so they were so magical for him that I loved that no matter how famous he got, until he got fairly old, he kept that used bookstore going. And I was like, except for the fact that I'd have to go to Archer City to see mm-hmm. it, I would have done it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Archer City's, you know, and it's where the last picture show was oh, set. Gotcha. And, you know. Is there a multi-calendar diner in that town? There, there must be. <laughs> oh, I don't know, man. Yeah. It's a little bit of nothing in the middle of nowhere. And oh, I don't wow. mean to insult anybody who loves mm-hmm. Archer City. It's just from the outside, that's how it looks. Yeah, yeah. So. But he right. loved it and lived there. Mm-hmm. It's like Eisenhower moving back to Abilene, Kansas, mm. which is also a little bit of nothing in the middle of nowhere. I like it. I've been there twice to go to the museum, and it's a sweet little town, I think. But it is just a teeny tiny little town that the only thing they have is the museum and a bunch of farms and a few stores. Yeah, yeah. So um, mm. it's the same kind of thing. So I understand. I would go to Abilene and live too. Mm-hmm. I get it. Very cool. I love it. Well, all right. Well, is there, is there anything else we should say about this book? I know that there's a lot more to <laughs> say, but um, but yeah, maybe we should have done multi multiple episodes. Um, but uh, I did think about that about mm-hmm. halfway through. I think one of the the things that I did like about it was mm-hmm. you know you're pointing out the explorers. And the people who settle things and then are left without anything to do because they've made it so they can't live there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But for me, I looked at it and said, it's not over till it's over. 
Yeah. These guys are old, white-haired, kind of codgerly in many ways, but they still have the essence of what makes them them. They didn't have to go on a cattle drive to Montana. When they were in San Antonio, they found a bartender to beat up. <laughs> yep. So, um, just but just to not settle and stagnate, but to go on living, as Gus would say, don't talk about dying, talk about living. And when right. you look at the attitudes of them, even living in Lonesome Dove, he was perfectly happy in Lonesome Dove, Gus was. Mm-hmm. Doing his talking, having the well dug, doing whatever it is, going into town to visit Lorena. Um, he wasn't necessarily living his pot- potential, but mm-hmm. he was still ready for what life brought him, as was Call. And I think that's kind of the old age lesson that we should all have, too. You know? Yeah, agreed. Yeah, that's that's really nice to think about. But you're right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm just sitting here thinking what that means to me personally, you know. <laughs> what will that mean to me personally? Um, but you're right. That's that's very good very good advice for everybody, I think. Keep yeah, going. It's mm-hmm. it's well that's yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is that Tonks? It is, yes. <laughs> Hi Tonks. Tonks what? is ready for an adventure. <laughs> that's right. The We're squirrel outside or going yeah. for a walk or whatever. I'm not, she she only barks at other dogs. And that is it, you know? Because they are monsters and they need to get off her lawn. I understand. If there is somebody walking by, that's when she barks. It's never a person. Yeah. Never a cat. Never a squirrel. Nothing. Just dogs. That's fair. That's more than fair. (laughs) She is taking care of business. Yeah. So she'll stop in just a moment. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because they're walking by. Okay. So. But that's, what about you? Um, gosh, you know, I, I think that I've the last said, thing you can't, you wish you'll have talked about. Yeah. I wish I have talked about, um, uh, man, it's just, um, there's just so much that I think about in this book and, um, yeah, it's, it's like, I kind of want to read it again. I kind of want to move on and read the next one. Mm-hmm. Um, the streets of Laredo is the next one that he wrote, which is a sequel to this. And the, the reviews I've read of it are that it's bleak. <laughs> <laughs> There's no Clara so, or Gus, I guess. So if so. this was not bleak, I'm not sure I can handle <laughs> Streets of Laredo. Yeah, um, we don't need to go there. But I, I, I think I might even be more interested in um, Dead Man's Walk and Comanche Moon um, because those are prequels and uh, spending more time uh. with Gus and, um, uh, and Call and uh, seeing them when they were young. I think that's going to be interesting. That's where you get maybe calls backstory. Um, yeah. Um, one of the things that I read while I was poking around, you know, doing some prep and stuff is that um, there's, I'm not going to remember the name of the book that was mentioned. And if I can find it, I will leave it in our notes. But they were talking about, you know, Gus and uh, Call being rangers at a time in the American West. Um, it, it's like they lived through this time where, Things were not going very well in Indian Wars, meaning they were being beaten. Um, mm, and apparently mm-hmm. this is history, right? There, it, wasn't, right. it wasn't like we went through the frontier and, and did just great. There were tribes that we hit that defeated us. And um, the advent of the handgun is what separated 
um, oh. us in civilization, quote unquote, with the Indians. And you know, the Gus's Gus's uh, you know skill with the handgun was on full display when uh, you know he he ran into that camp where Blue Duck had just left, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and. And poor July Johnson didn't even, you know, put off shot, right? <laughs> but again, that was like yeah. that was like a contrast too, with Gus being the old style and July being like civilized. You know what I right. mean? Exactly. And um, so, uh, you know, Jake, or I'm sorry, uh, July felt horrible about that. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, he was a different person than than Gus. That wasn't, you know. They're not the same. They don't come from the same time, yeah. you know. Yeah. And um, so I thought that was interesting. But this, you know, um, going through that history, you know, so this was, I don't know, 1860 or something like that. So mm-hmm. um, however old these guys were, um, you know, they lived through that. They lived through the times where um, they were not successful and then became successful. So I'm, I don't know if all that is brought up in Dead Man's Walk and Comanche Moon or not, but the the book that was recommended was about Comanches. It was a history book about the Comanches, and apparently oh, something you, that Larry McMurtry had read. You bring up an interesting point that uh, crossed my mind when you were talking about Clara and the children dying, and do you stay there, or do you leave, what do you do, and everything. And July Johnson, as contrasted with Gus in that scene, and one being civilized and the other having experience of suffering and loss and having to fight. And I mean, cause he killed his horse without compunction. So he'd have a fort, you know, yeah. you assume yeah. he loved his horse, but you know, it's, I, this has got to happen. Mm-hmm. And that was on display several times, right? These, this, I love this horse, but you know, these are animals and I'm a human and this, I've got to live. So, um, but it also made me think, and I guess this is a drum I've been beating for a little while, but it's like our lives are so easy. Mm-hmm. Through and people will do now do practically anything to avoid suffering, loss, feeling bad. There was somebody the other day who was oh, where was I? And they had a comfort dog with them. It was like the grocery store or something, and um, maybe that was uh, oh the the art museum. And they had a comfort dog with them. And I was like, and it was not a seeing eye dog, which we were at a museum, so that would have been no good. It couldn't <laughs> describe anything. But I just looked at it and thought, how traumatized are we by things? And maybe this was legitimate. I don't want to put down people who need comfort dogs for things that I don't know about. But what's going on when we can't even go to a museum hmm. or overcome whatever it is? Or you have to have trigger warnings put on books and movies and, you know, this and that. For everything. Hmm. How much can we protect ourselves and what good does it do us? Then we wind up unable to function in the real world, which does not have trigger warnings or anything. Yeah, that's true. I mean, there are no trigger warnings. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. It's, it's uh, you know, the bull versus the bear, who when you said that, they did have one tiny thing of them driving the cattle by and there was a or drive, riding by somewhere and there was a bear that was eating a bull. Hmm. So that was the the homage to that. Yeah. Without so the, going into the it. bull survived, uh, but was oh, wounded. Okay. But was then wounded, and the bear ran off. But it okay. was intense. Yeah, it was intense. He had, the, okay. the bull ended up missing a horn and missing an eye, and had okay. um, actually 
been torn on his back. You know, there was like flap of skin, a giant flap right. of skin. And they actually <laughs> tackled the thing. You know, they, they, they roped it mm-hmm. and tackled it and sewed him up. Yeah, there you go. They took the time to sew him up. And then uh, he made it the rest of the way. There he was. In fact, uh, it, it was something. They, they, were, they were like, um, after they had done that, then they started moving the herd again. And as they moved the herd, it was falling behind. And there was like, well, you know, maybe it won't make it. And they just let it be. And then uh, one morning, about three days later, it, you know, they woke up in the morning and there it was in the herd, like nothing had ever happened. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it had caught up overnight or whatever. And there it was. And back in the front, like it, yep. you know, <laughs> bleeding, doing fine. Yeah. Yeah. So it protected, talk about it moving landed. on. Talk about moving on. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So in yeah. that sense, I guess that just shows <clears throat> that sometimes you can't get all the cattle there when the bear's eating one. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Um, but anyway, but yeah, you know, it's it's that idea that yes, it was rough and horrible and everything, but he does provide the oases of Clara and um, July Johnson and all mm. the various people who are good and do get to have a better life. And, you know, everybody didn't go through this. These people sought it out. Yeah. But part of the reason, you know, why some people didn't go through this was because they did. Yes. And also mm-hmm. back to my original point is you can't avoid suffering. It's part of life. Mm-hmm. And so to try to protect yourself from it is just going to lead you to a different kind of suffering that's less easy to identify. Yeah, yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. Anyway. Very true. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so great, man. I loved going through this book. So uh, thanks for <laughs> thanks for that. <laughs> well, you're very welcome. Uh, I'm I'm sorry I couldn't do better, but I kept it the best I could. No. I'm like the bull. I I'm not at the front, but I caught up overnight. <laughs> I'm I'm here at the back you're, with the calves. Beat up a little bit, but that's all right. <laughs> I'm kind of beat up, but I made it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Oh, oh good. Yeah, it's a nice book to read in the summer too. Um, nice. Yeah, lots of lots of dust. Like I said, lots of wa- <laughs> lots of water. And as they get up to Montana, it gets freezing. I, I love the scenes where um, some of them saw snow for the first time. Right. And uh, that was amazing to them. You know, one of them was too afraid to get out of his tent until he saw other people walking around. Oh, and he how was like, funny. oh, that's okay. That, I guess looks like we can oh. walk on it. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> you know, just, okay. you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love up here. You know, every now and then you run into somebody who's like, this is the first time I've ever seen snow. It's great. Yeah. I know, growing up in Kansas, that's so funny Mm. to me. But, you know, my kids have only experienced a few snowfalls. Yeah, yeah. You bet. Yeah, we're due for a good one. Hopefully this year we will. But you said it's like extra hot down there. So far up here it's been on the cool side, but we're we're hitting the 90s now. So um, We've been over at 100 or over for several weeks fairly consistently with no end in sight. And um, I've been through other summers like this, luckily not too frequent. But mm. yes, it's very uncomfortable and I'm thankful for my air conditioning and all my little bubble that keeps me from my sufferings that I was complaining <laughs> about. I'm okay with this. This is all right. Oh, shoot. And ice. Yes. I'm okay with this. <laughs> so, you know. Very good. Very good. Yes. Yeah. So what's next? You bet. So what's next is we're going back to India, it looks like. I don't know anything Yay! about this movie, but Lagan, 
L A G A N L A G A A N. Yes. Starring our friend Amir Khan. Of who course. Was in PK. There's got to be a Khan in there. That Well, you certainly hope so. <laughs> and um, this is an epic that is unlike the epics we've seen like Bahubali. Okay. This is not fantastical. This is set in India during the time of the Raj. Mm. So a- another favorite theme that we'll talk about with Indian movies. But this movie is the first movie my husband and I ever watched that was an Indian movie because it had been nominated for a foreign movie award at the Oscars. Very cool. Okay. And there are only two other movies, I think, that have ever been nominated. Nice. And this is the only modern one. Okay. And uh, it's just, it's so good. But like you with Lonesome Dove, I'm going long. This mm-hmm. is a four-hour movie. Four hours? In a row? <laughs> and I'm going to say the cricket match is not stinted. Cricket? There's so cricket? Just get, just get your popcorn. Well, as long Make as sure there's, there's no a bathroom nearby. shirtless men, I feel oh. like I could get through it. Oh, well, I'm sorry, Scott. <laughs> I love it. No, I'm looking forward to it. I love it. This is great. Yeah, this, this is a really fun movie, and um, it's uh, well worth it. I've never shown it to anyone who regretted it, but cool. if you break it up into two nights, it won't hurt anything. All right, cool. Uh, yeah, it, we'll it's do. great we'll in do. a lot yeah. of ways. So, all right, good. I hope everybody enjoys it and has a chance to watch it. All right, awesome. Okay. okay, sounds good. All right, well, thanks for listening, everybody, and keep yeah. on keeping on. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Don't let things drag you back. Just embrace them and move forward. That's right. That's right. (laughs) We'll talk to you in a couple weeks. Take care, all. (laughs) Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you.